people like to say is never again. It will happen again uh, and we have to guard against that. And uh, I think education like this is a very good weapon, a very important weapon to uh, against having it happen again. But the anti-Semitism, all my children at the moment have received information from people, hate. I've had to unfriend a lot of friends. And I say to people, if you have a Jewish friend, someone you know, reach out, send them a text, are you okay? Because we're not. It's true. Mm. May all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machinery. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country, it is a free country. There is nothing worse than being called a Nazi, if there's any truth to it. Or worse, if there's no truth to it, and yet somehow some people believe it. Of course, it's long been an epithet flung by irrational leftists at anyone who has a slightly more conservative approach than them to immigration or any other policy. This in itself is a disservice to the weight that word should carry, trivialising the unspeakable horrors of World War II. Nazis found ammunition too expensive in their objective of murdering every Jew within their grasp. So they industrialised the process, shipping precious humans who bore them absolutely no threat by train in cattle cars to extermination camps where they lethally exposed them to Zyklon B, a cyanide-based pesticide already banned after World War I. Nazis chose almost all children, women with small children, all the elderly and anyone not fit to work to be mass-murdered upon arrival. Nazi war criminal Johann Kremer, an SS doctor who oversaw gassings, testified that the shouting and screaming of the victims could be heard through the opening, and it was clear that they fought for their lives. They suffered for up to 20 minutes. Over a million Jews were murdered this way. The Nazis and Nazi allies eventually mass-murdered about 6 million Jews in what became known as the Holocaust. Genocidal hatred and massacres of Jews dates back over 3,000 years. About 500 BC, Haman, an official in the court of King Ahasuerus of the Persian Empire, convinced the king to issue a decree authorising all Persians to kill all Jews. Queen Esther, a Jew, was used by God to foil Haman's anti-Semitism and he and his ten sons were hanged on the gallows he had built to kill Esther's uncle, Mordecai. The king's command to permit mass murder of Jews could not be revoked. But with his authority, another command was issued, permitting all Jews to unite to defend their lives. History says 
They were allowed to kill, slaughter and annihilate anyone of any nationality or province who might attack them or their children and wives and to take the property of their enemies. Both decrees were put into effect and the Jew haters had hoped to overpower them, but the opposite happened. Jews throughout the king's provinces had gathered together to defend their lives. They gained relief from all their enemies, killing 75,000 of those who hated them. In AD 135, the ancient Roman occupiers exiled or murdered most of the Jews in Israel and insultingly renamed it to erase its Jewish identity, naming it after the Philistines. Virtually every nation since then that has had a significant Jewish population, apart from India and China, has massacred its Jews. The Jews never really left the Promised Land. They've always been returning there, even under foreign colonial occupations. But in 1920, the League of Nations gave the British administration of the Palestine Mandate, under which they were obliged by treaties to help Jews return to their ancestral home, homeland as a matter of historic right. That territory included what is now called Gaza and the West Bank. Jews alone were given the right to return there because Jews alone had ever had a kingdom, a national homeland there. Those legal rights have never been abrogated. Wickedly, the British colonial administrators who were in Palestine did everything they could to stop the Jews returning and a Jewish national home becoming a reality. Among other things, they imported a radical political Islamist called Muhammad Amin al-Husseini to be the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem and to incite revolt, which he did, resulting in many pogroms, riots and massacres of returning Jews. From the mid-1800s, there has been a Jewish majority in Jerusalem. At the time of the mandate, the land was very sparsely populated. The Arabs there were nomadic and had no interest in a country of their own, considering themselves Bedouin or part of Syria. Palestinians were the Jews. It was hatred for Jews returning that caused Arabs to begin pouring in from neighboring Arab lands. The British administrators let the illegal immigrants in because they wanted to stop the Jewish homeland. A three-sided war between Jews, Arabs and British ensued, and the British reneged on their obligations to resettle the Jews in Mandatory Palestine. They decided to split the land between the Jews and Arabs, and then refused to allow any more Jews into their homeland, right when the Nazis began to exterminate Jews in Europe. God forgive us. Amin al-Husseini infamously met with Hitler in Germany in 1941 to seek a public declaration of support for the elimination of the Jewish national home. This is before 1948. He declared the Nazis had the same enemies, the English, the Jews and the Communists. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights was adopted in 1948 because the international community vowed never again to allow the atrocities of World War II. The United Nations replaced the League of Nations 
and also committed to a two-state solution. The Jews objected to loss of their national lands, but agreed for the sake of peace and their desperate need for a nation. The Arabs said, never, and united against the Jews to destroy their nation before it could begin. Israel miraculously won the war for its independence. Just like they did in Persia under the leadership of Queen Esther, the modern state of Israel is the authority for Jews to be gathered from wherever they are in the world to unite and defend their lives. Professor Emeritus of Humanities, Eric Sundquist, wrote that the founding of Israel was predicated on the injunction to remember a history of destruction, the destruction of two temples, exile and pogroms, and the Holocaust, and to ensure that such events will never happen again. Never again. It's easy for right-thinking, moral people to learn the unpropagandized history and to take Israel's side in its quest for the security and peace of its citizens, as is the duty of every nation. Palestine has never been a nation, and the refugee descendants of failed Islamic Jihad should be compassionately repatriated by their Arab homelands, where they were happy prior to 1920. Until I visited the Queensland Holocaust Museum and interviewed some Jews on staff there last week, as well as a Holocaust survivor, I really didn't understand the trauma experienced by Jews outside Israel in the wake of October 7. It grieves me to know Jews around the world are waiting for their friends to ask, are you okay? It doesn't even occur to us. Worse, some of us are equivocating between a grotesquely criminal day of genocide perpetrated by world-recognized terrorists with the destruction of Israel as its long-stated goal and Israel's imperative retaliations against the military targets of that sociopathic enemy. It's unspeakably evil that while Israel protects its citizens with airstrikes, Hamas protects its rockets with civilians. The blood of tens of thousands of Gazans since 2006 is on the hands of those terrorist Nazis. But what choice does Israel have? It's impossible to have peace and security with enemies who refuse to negotiate and want nothing short of the end of your nation, who routinely raise their young children to hate and kill your people, and who then dance in the streets and celebrate when those children live stream the mass butchering of your people. Then in the West, people march in tens of thousands in solidarity with the Philistines who celebrated your deaths and suffering, waving the flags of the militants and civilians who invaded your borders with the sole intention of genocide. Allegedly educated people, including on the right wing, declare that Palestinian genocide is resistance, but Israeli resistance is genocide. Why would any Jew take us seriously when we say we would have hidden them from the Nazis? Many, maybe most Jews, are constantly aware that there are a lot of people in the world who pathologically hate Jews. Even if there's peace, 
History records that at least every few generations, some group tries to mass murder Jews because they're Jews. More Jews were murdered on October 7 than any day since the world promised never again, only because they were Jews. But the UN Secretary General says there was context. We know which side he would have taken if the Nazis knocked on his door. And there is no middle ground to actual Jew hatred. You're either a Zionist or a Nazi. To be silent is to permit another Holocaust, another Kristallnacht, another pogrom, another thousand rockets fired by Hamas indiscriminately into Israel, or another thousand Jews mass murdered by those Nazis invading their homeland. Jewish children grow up with the Holocaust being part of their history, and unlike Aborigines, who can be confident they will never face another massacre from either colonists or another tribe, Jewish children have an intrinsic understanding that, through no fault of theirs or their parents, they may need to hide again. Blogger Josh Gilman writes, When my sisters were quite young, they used to play hiding from the Nazis. This wasn't hide and seek. They would just pick a place to hide, under a couch or behind a freezer, and just lie still for hours. Once, genuinely playing, they hid in our van for way too long and my parents couldn't find them and they got in a lot of trouble. Your Jewish friends are wondering why you haven't asked them if they're okay and why you haven't publicly declared your support for their right to exist, their right to a nation and their right to peace and safety. Don't tell me what about the Gazans' right to peace and safety. If they'd stayed on their side of the security fence, Thousands of Arab and Israeli children, now tragically dead, would be sleeping in their beds tonight. There are 22 Arab countries in the Middle East and North Africa, and none of them want the Arab refugees from the Arab wars against the only homeland for the Jews. Support for the imaginary nation of Palestine, which has never existed, is a clear message of hatred for Israel. The slogan, From the River to the Sea, is a genocidal demand that Israel cease to exist along with every Jew. Dutifully regurgitating Hamas Nazi talking points, propaganda and claims is a clear signal you would have looked the other way when Goebbels issued press releases claiming the Jews were dirty, transmitted disease, or were the source of every social ill. Josh Gilman explains, quote, it breaks my heart to tell you what your Jewish friends are wondering. They're wondering if you are safe. They are seeing many others cave to the propaganda, the vitriol from the Hamas apologists. They are seeing the pro-Hamas protests and the threats to the world. And they're wondering if you are too afraid to speak. And they know that if you are too afraid to speak, then you would be too afraid to hide them. Did you know that that is a category of friend that every Jewish person has in their mind? Who would I run to? Who would hide me? We don't wonder if, we wonder when. Because we know that whether it is indeed us or whether it is our brothers and sisters in Israel or in France or in Pittsburgh, it will happen again somewhere. End quote. I am a Zionist. I believe 
that the Jews are God's chosen people and that he will bless those who bless Jews and he will curse those who curse Jews. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. I stand with Israel, her right to exist and to defend her citizens like every other nation should and would if the same hostility was perpetrated against their citizens. Of course, I don't believe Israel is any more immune from criticism than Australia or England is. And I would never consider offering patronizing advice about restraint or human rights if they were invaded and their citizens brutally murdered. I believe that what God has blessed, no man can curse, and what God curses, no man can bless. The door God opens, no man can close, and what God closes, no man can open. What God smites, no man can heal, and what God heals, no man can smite. It's also true that what God gathers, no man can scatter. And what God scatters, such as the Jews, no man can gather. No human effort could regather the scattered Jews from the diaspora so quickly and so successfully as has happened since 1948. The creation of the modern state of Israel is nothing less than a miracle, evidence of the sovereign hand of God. And I will not take the side of Goliath or any Philistine over David and Israel. It horrifies me that anyone would lack the self-awareness to be shamelessly on a unity ticket with radical Greens and political Islamists, the natural enemies of freedom, truth, justice, and all Judeo-Christian values, which are so obviously under attack. Israel must exist, must thrive, and must not concede any more land to the sociopathic Nazis of the Islamic axis against Jews and Israel. To be anti-Zionist is to be an unvarnished Jew-hater taking terrorist talking points straight from Hamas. To be a Jew lover is to be on the side of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, who specifically said his covenant was not with Ishmael, but Isaac, the son of his promise to Abraham. To be a Zionist is to affirm that God is a covenant-keeping God, faithful to his promises to Abraham and sustaining the Jews and Israel by his grace, just as he now saves all who call on the name of Jesus. I stand with Israel as God's authority and command for Israel to do as the Jewish nation in Persia did, to unite all Jews to defend their lives. To be a Zionist is to keep the promise we rightly made never again. Never again will we look away when Jews are being mass murdered. Never again will we allow Nazis to commit war crimes and atrocities with the publicly declared genocidal ambitions such as Hamas has made since 2006 and other political Islamists for over a century. God is using Israel in this age to sift the nations and the hearts of people. It's a pass or fail test. And no amount of theological or political or historical or geographical contortionism is going to excuse anyone failing to bless the ethnic descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob or failing to stand with Israel. I am a defiant Zionist, whatever it may cost me, because it's the only righteous thing to choose. Am Yisrael Chai. Shalom Jerusalem. 
we're here at the Queensland Holocaust Museum and you give regular presentations to senior high school students. Uh, what's contained uh, in those presentations? What do students learn from you? Well, basically I've been asked to uh, just give the story of, well, to give my story, that is uh, what my family uh, experiences during the Second World War uh, and um, then the aftermath of the war, which is emigration to Australia and uh, life in Australia. Um, the importance of that, I, I think uh, it's, it makes it real. If people have the opportunity to see somebody who really was there, now I know I was only a child, but I do have memories and actually I was there even if I was a child and uh, it makes it real. Uh, you know what people like to say is never again. It will happen again uh, and we have to guard against that. And uh, I think education like this is a very good weapon, a very important weapon to uh, against having it happen again. What do you think are some of the more important exhibits here in the museum? Well, I think what is really uh, the richest here of our museum is to share the testimonies and stories of survivors that um, went through the Holocaust, uh, sometimes as children or young adults, and then immigrated to Queensland and made Queensland their home. And they share with us uh, objects, items, artifacts, but also their stories, and we're very fortunate to have them. Some of them are still alive today and they come share with schools in particular, but also with our general audience uh, stories of their real life. And it's um, an incredible experience, especially for a younger generation, mm. to hear a first-hand account on the reality of what was the Holocaust, because unfortunately, uh, they will hear stories that are told differently and that try to deny or diminish uh, the horror that was the Holocaust. So this is really, really important to hear uh, from a real person what it was really like. So what do you tell the students? What, like, uh, do you assume they have no prior knowledge? Um, I like to check with them because I was surprised. I was, I've been surprised at how little today's people know about the Second World War. Uh, I have been associated in the recent past, because I'm into aviation and that sort of thing, and I have been associated with the Warplane Museum, and I made a display there of the Battle of Britain, and it surprised me how many of the people going through that Warplane Museum had no idea of what the Battle of Britain was or when. Mm. Um, and uh, one, at least one of the student groups I've spoken to here um, they weren't stupid and they had nice attitudes, but they didn't know who the Allies were. Uh, so I, I check with them now before I start to talk to them uh, so that I'm not talking over their heads. Uh, but it, it is important that we talk about this, otherwise people don't know. They're not stupid. It's, if you don't tell them, how do they know? Um, now, Dad didn't go into the ghetto with us, 
he and another man from the town <coughs> were sent away on forced labour. Uh, they were just taken away. Um, we didn't know until afterwards what, what had happened with him. Uh, the, the group of men uh, were worked until they were starved and exhausted to the point they could work no longer. And Dad didn't talk much about that, but he did tell me they got so hungry that they ate grass and snails. And um, then when they were worked to the point they couldn't work any longer, he, they were sent to the concentration camp at Mauthausen. People were sent from the various ghettos to the various concentration camps, sometimes referred to as extermination camps. The reason for that is that that's what they sent us there for. The genocide, they just wanted to kill the Jews. We were in the queue to get on the train when my mother saw a gentleman, an elderly gentleman whom she knew slightly. This chap was blind and in great distress and she went to his aid. Now because she went to his aid, we changed queues. And now when I say we, uh, I'll show you in a minute some of the people, uh, but there was mum and me, Mum was pregnant, she was pregnant with my brother. Uh, she had her aunt and uncle and cousin with her and the other aunt and uncle who owned the cement products factory where Dad worked. Now the uncle and aunt who owned the cement products factory, they did not change queues with us. As a result of that, they ended up going straight to Auschwitz where they were killed. Um, we got onto a different train because we had changed queues and that train couldn't get through to Auschwitz. It couldn't get through because a bridge had been bombed and they couldn't get through. Um, we, so instead we were sent to a forced labour camp, a slave labour camp, uh, which the uh, people had. Um, when the uh, folk were going out to work. They had to walk some distance to where they worked. <coughs> Every now and again, uh, they'd hear someone whistle and they'd look up to see where the whistle had come from <coughs> and they saw someone disappearing into the woods. And when they went to investigate, they found that some food had been left for them. And again, that was a tremendously brave act of kindness because as I said, anybody helping the Jews was shot. As the Allies were advancing, uh, what the Germans were doing was getting rid of all the people in, all the uh, people in the um, concentration camps and labour camps. Uh, there were two purposes for that. One of them was that they did their level best to kill as many Jews as they could before the war came to its inevitable end, which it was obviously doing by that time. <coughs> the other reason was to cover their atrocities so that people wouldn't see it. Uh, we, one night, uh, sought shelter for the night, came across a derelict house, had no roof. There was another couple there who had also escaped from the camp, um, but for whatever reason, our group decided that it wasn't suitable for us to say, I suppose, with a, my baby brother. Um, 
<coughs> this would have been April 45, and he was born in October 44, so he was just a little baby. Uh, then decided it wasn't suitable to stay in a place without a roof, so we went on to look for shelter for that night elsewhere. The other couple decided to stay where they were. <coughs> we later learned that they had been discovered and shot, which we would have been too had we stayed. We've talked about people who really had great acts of courage in helping us with the baby stuff, in helping the camp inmates with food, and that, uh, in, in warning mum to get out. Those were actually very great acts of courage for which they could have paid with their lives. What would you like to tell people? Uh, maybe there's a, a bunch of 15, 16 year olds watching this now. Talking to them about what the Jews went through. And not just during World War II, but leading up to it as well, from the 1930s, from uh, Kristallnacht, Kristallnacht, when uh, it's considered that the Holocaust dates from then. Right. Uh, Anti-Semitism, was not new, uh, but it certainly was the worst and biggest uh, uh, sort of example of anti-Semitism in history. Mm. Uh, and uh, while there have been terrible cases of uh, genocide since then and before then, it's probably one of the worst, uh, worst examples of uh, deliberate genocide and attempts to get to obliterate an entire race. It's very heartening mm. uh, to see the calibre of these students and to realise, well, maybe the future is in good hands, at least in a lot of quarters. Yeah, I think uh, it's in better hands if people like you and, and this museum continue to uh, keep the memory alive. Uh, because, like you said, it's surprising how few people understand this history until they're told. Well, we've got to tell them. Mm. How will they know if we don't tell them? Yeah, very, very well said. Tell me about your emigration to Australia. What I have started to say to the student groups, and I said this morning, you know, I said to them, how many of you are proud Aussies? And everyone stuck their hands up. And I said, will you imagine that such bad things happened in Australia? that would make you want to go as far away from here as possible because that actually is what that big Jewish emigration from Europe was about. When I was in a, um, a, at a friend's 50th birthday party and uh, there was some young woman there uh, who uh, was, if I can put it this way, she appeared to be one of these high maintenance females <laughs> uh, and um, she said to me, uh, oh, uh, you were in the concentration camp. Well, it was actually a slave labour camp, but I said, yes. And she said, my parents were too. They were guards. <laughs> That's the only time I've ever, wow. I've ever experienced anything like that. I didn't take her terribly seriously. I didn't think she was worth it. But... Um, that's the only overt experience that I've And she ever seemed had. proud of that? Yeah. Uh, mostly, I've got to admit, Australians tend to be, um, you know, they tend to take people on their merits. Uh, my father 
when he worked in um, the factory in Artarman sewing buttons on raincoats. He could hardly speak any English and all this sort of stuff. Uh, but he, he did his best. His workmates thought he was a good bloke. Mm. They asked him his name, which in Hungarian was uh, too difficult for them. So they said, oh, that's too hard. We'll call you Jim. Okay. And, and, you know, they, they accepted him. And I think they accepted him on his merits. Yeah, and I okay. think that's what, on the whole, Australians tend to do. We're very, very fortunate. And so we should. I think it's very important that we realise that if we're not on, on our guard against it, these, if these people come into the ascendancy in our society or any other society, uh, the, in Germany at the time, the political situation in Germany in the aftermath of the First World War um, made the situation very ripe mm. for the wrong people to get into power and for the other people, because of their dissatisfaction, to follow them. Mm. But that could happen in any society. It's a human thing. And... Uh, never again. Never again. Never again. I'm afraid it will probably happen again, but uh, we should do our best to prevent it. Amen. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for your service to humanity in helping us remember. I was going to say it's my pleasure, it's my privilege, but I feel it's also my duty. God's brought me through this. I've survived by the grace of God on many occasions. And I can be quite specific if we had the time and say, you know, this, that or the other thing, and I survived. And I think one's got a duty then to uh, say, well, this is what I can pass on. And, um, and I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the level of anti-Semitism you've grown up with. Mm. Well, I, I grew up in Sydney and I went to a uniting Presbyterian girls' school and I didn't go to Jewish schools. Um, but in saying that, I was teased with my whole life. My whole life being Jewish, my, my twin sister and I and my older sister were always teased. Yep, yeah, but everybody got teased. They were teased for being wogs, they were teased for having a big nose, they were teased for having immigrant parents. Oh. Was it the same? Uh, it was teased, but even just recently I have two girls, they're now 35 and 36, and they went to Stewart Home, which is a Catholic school in the city here. And they were boarders and they mixed with the Morris boys and our house got egged one night. And this is 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And uh, my niece at the time was in year 10. And I said, we got egg last night. She said, yeah, the Morris boys did it because they said we killed Jesus. And I said, I think they really need to educate themselves. But that came from mm. their parents and they were country yeah. boys that were unaware. But to be egged in the 2019, 2020 time, it was a bit scary and we were like, what's happening? But I always grew up with anti-Semitism and my family did, you know, we were used to it and I wish you shouldn't be used to it. It shouldn't be acceptable. And now the times that we're in, what's happening in mm. Israel, anti-Semitism is just, it's gone up, was it 466% mm. I was reading the other day? And I, I just... My grandmother was a Holocaust survivor and she always said they'll come back for us.
they'll come back for us. You're too thin, Gabby. You'll never survive. You need a bit of fat. Oh, and I'm like, darling. Nana, it's never going to happen again. And I'm quite relieved she's gone. Mm. Because yeah. it's, it's very sad mm. that we live in times. I mean, I've had people come through here, our volunteers who are survivors or descendants, and they're heartbroken. You know, as Laura mm. was going to go to Israel yeah. and study the Yad Vashem mm. and they've put it all on hold yeah. because they've got one of their volunteers who's been kidnapped. It's taken all and this is 2023. Mm. 2023. As you leave this museum, never again. Yeah, the big sign. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Australian experience of anti-Semitism, in, in what way is it different from the the shallow end of racism that's probably part of the Australian experience of the 70s, 80s and 90s. You know, the, well, the, the jokes about, you know, shortening racial names and, and light-hearted ribbing that's probably a thin veneer over a, a more sinister us versus them tribalism, but still not actually amounting to hatred. Is well, anti-Semitism... That was, you know, coming after the war, there were lots of, mm. like, Anglo, lots of that kind of stuff. Now it's a bit late. The Palestinian situation, most Palestinians want a two-state resolution and they've been used as fodder. Most people I know who live in Israel who work with Palestinians, they have restaurants, they mm. have shops. It's quite amicable, but now because of what's happened, there's yeah. a divide. That's right. And it's they're mm. naive and they're like... The media is so making up propaganda. Mm. Propaganda. We're talking about propaganda. Yeah. Yeah, but like historically as well, after the war, Australia was the second country in terms of number of Jewish refugees per capita. So that was the second, Mm. yes, after Israel. So it's quite interesting. A lot. Second only to Israel. Yes, Israel was first and then, I mean, the Australian population at the time was not that large. So this large number of refugees coming was making a large proportion. And so this Jewish refugee brought a lot to Australian culture. They built cinemas and cultures and shopping centers and also different, Mm. different things. But at the same time as the Jewish refugees, Nazi perpetrator who didn't face justice also escaped and also immigrated to different places, including Australia. And there are pockets of what we call neo-Nazis today that are still the descendant of these people that also took refuge in a place like Australia. And, and this is what we see today. Yeah, and I say educate yourself. Don't just post something, look at it, see if it's correct, make sure it's correct, don't just push it on. Because people are hearing information, they're not understanding what's happening in Israel, they don't understand that 80% of Palestinians want a two-state resolution. Hamas are a terrorist organisation that kill people, use their children as fodder, Mm. use their people as fodder. The Israeli government feed, they give, they they help the Gaza Mm. and they help people, but Hamas are using them as shields, and people need to educate themselves. Don't just look at something, post it. Make sure you know it's correct. Make sure you find out it's correct before mm. you post it. Educate yourself. If you were the Prime Minister of Israel today, mm. 
what would you do? I believe Israel has a right to defend. I believe what they did, they're a terrorist organisation. Americans in 9-11 did not have to defend themselves when they were attacked. But somehow Israel has to defend themselves. Why? I don't understand. Mm. I'm completely confused. America didn't have to defend themselves 9-11, but we have to defend ourselves what happened on October 7th. I think it, the, they're allowed to do this because of what has happened. They're using mm. backpacks that are children's backpacks, dropping them. People think they're back, kids' backpacks, but they've got bombs. What kind of people do this? Mm. And it's humanity. It's, it's important to try to look at the facts because with the emotion, things get really heightened and this is where people get, you know, all sort of ideas and feelings and emotions. and emotions, but staying on the facts is important. So looking at historically accurate events and trying to get analysis of this event is a way to understand what is happening. So when we look at the Holocaust and we look at other genocides, we can analyze 10 stages that lead to genocides. Really? And when we see that, it's like, what is a genocide? Is it what is happening? And that helps answering this question because this is the word that we hear. Mm. Oh yeah, Israel is performing a genocide against mm. uh, the Palestinians. Let's look at the definition. What is a genocide? And what are the 10 stages of genocides? Is that the same? Because this is some observation from the Holocaust and many other genocides since that led to this observation and analysis, and we can use that. So this is where we need to provide education to people and not get into the emotion and the pictures that are horrific. There's a lot we can say through the same picture. And we see a lot of picture, pictures circulating and people don't have the education to understand and mm. correctly understand what is happening and it can be used um, well, it's what way. we're trying to do with this interview and it's also what mm. you're trying to do with the Queensland Holocaust Museum. Mm. Mm. But the anti-Semitism, all my children at the moment have received information from people, hate. I've had to unfriend a lot of friends. And I say to people, if you have a Jewish friend, someone you know, reach out, send them a text, are you okay? Because we're not. It's true. Mm. Sorry. No, it's okay. And this is it. We had a girl come on Sunday and speak, and she has a movement. She went to a public school here in Brisbane in the 80s. Every single day of her life, she was called Dirty Jew, Dirty Jew, Dirty Jew. Her whole life, dusting. Beautiful girl. And she said, I really want to educate people. So she has this movement called Breaking Hala. At Breaking Hala, you can follow on Instagram. And she invites all interfaith different people. She said she's had over 200 people come to her house for Shabbat, the Sabbath, on a Friday night. Wow. She has mm. people, politicians, all interfaith, Muslims, everyone. Everyone comes. Her and her three daughters and her husband have this beautiful dinner. They do the whole Shabbat dinner. They explain the lighting, the candles. It's this beautiful movement. Since October 7th, She's had at least five people reach out out of those 200 sending, I'm thinking of you. She's heartbroken. She's had to turn off her Instagram because of the abuse, the abuse she is getting. Mm -hmm. And this, she spoke on Sunday here and she's heartbroken. She's like, mm -hmm. 
I am heartbroken. It's like the 80s again. And to see her talk the other day and her husband's mother was a Holocaust survivor and they both spoke about their life and being Jewish and genealogy, but mm. to get her up and speak and talk like that, that was heartbreaking because what she's trying to do is show people how beautiful is Judaism. She's not religious. She's a secular Jew. She's a Jew like me. I feel I've got Yiddishkeit in my heart. I'm not religious, but I feel... And she's broken. She's like, mm. I cannot believe what's happening. So people need to reach out to those yeah. Jewish people and say, are you okay? I've heard from some people. But I've mm. heard from other people not. Yes. And that's been shocking. Mm. You know who your friends are. So. Mm. Mm. Come to the museum and learn what propaganda and hate can create and what it did to 6 million Jews, mm. 11 million people, not just Jewish people, Jehovah's Witness, sixth generation Australian on my mother's side, my parents, family convicts. Jewish. My father came from Shanghai, white Russian Jew. I was told my whole life, people can hate you, hold your head up high. You know the truth, just hold your head up high. Just That's horrible head. being told I know, that. But this is what Do you think taught. that was helpful or unhelpful being told people well, are going to hate I'm, you? I don't know any different. This is my whole life. Mm. I'm 53. I don't know any different. I was brought up like this and that's the way it is. I'm just used to it. I shouldn't be used to it. No one should be used to it. No. And now it's escalating. Again. Mm. Again. And, and this is the terrible thing. I mean, it, it's world history. Uh, oppression, tyranny, evil, wickedness mm. between mm. Uh, races and nations. Um, it was pre-colonial mm. history in Australia. Mm. It's European history for millennia and Middle Eastern history for even longer. Mm. Um, but... Uh, the the thing is that we in this age of information um, and education and sophistication should be able to look at modern history, not even ancient history, modern history, and having sworn never again, see this coming and recognise it when it comes and unequivocally condemn it. We should be able to do that. Well, Hamas did a good job, didn't they? They brought it out on everyone. There's a real trauma in the survivors and the descendants. And we talk about generational trauma, mm. trauma that goes from a generation to another. Some of the mm. survivors never talk about it mm. because it is so atrocious that they can't share even with their children. Still, their children feel some sort of a trauma, some sort of a fear that they can't explain because they don't have the stories. Now, I grew up with friends that parents were Holocaust survivors and their parents didn't talk about it. Did not talk about it. No. They weren't allowed to mix with Jewish people. Really? They weren't allowed to go to Sunday school, Hebrew school. They weren't allowed to go to bar and bat mitzvahs because their parents were horrified and so mortified by what they went through. We don't want to assimilate with Jewish people in case it happens again. They were so traumatised. So these children mm. have had to wait for their parents to die in order to reclaim their Jewishness mm. wow. because their parents are like, no, yeah. no. As I said, my grandmother was paranoid that I was too skinny. So every Jewish girl's dream to be too skinny. <laughs> but she was always concerned that it could happen again. She yeah. was in the synagogue in Marburg in Germany the night of Kristallnacht. I only found out five years ago at her funeral. 
She never told me. She stopped talking German. She only spoke Russian because she married a Russian guy in Shanghai. She never told me that. She never talked about... She, ne she, she fled in 1939 and moved to Shanghai because China had an open visa policy. Her and her father and her family got out in time, but she never talked about it. The only time I saw a hint of it was walking down the street and she saw an Alsatian, she would run and hide. I'd say, Nana, what's wrong? I don't like those dogs. And that was it. She died at 91, 92. I'm not quite sure how old she was. I can't remember, but I didn't know anything until she died. So how's that? Mm. Holding that in your whole life. She was a nervous woman. She was very heightened. And we knew something was wrong. She wore a star as a young girl walking down the street. Thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you. Thank you for coming. No, thank, thank you, you for mm. pouring out your hearts and giving us some insight. It's um, very hard to keep a professional face on. Mm. Shalom, shalom, Jerusalem. Yeah. I'm Israel. Hi. That's all we have time for in this episode of the Church and State Show. Thank you for watching. Thank you for your attention and caring to watch to the end of this show. The extended and full interviews with those people will be available on my website under this episode's post uh, called davepello.com. That's my website, davepello.com. Look for episode 23.31 and uh, I look forward to seeing you there. Don't forget uh, to head to churchandstate.com.au to see the coming events for you in your area. In Brisbane on the 26th of November, I'll be hosting a conference, Israel and Antisemitism. We will be talking to experts from Australia and around the world, uh, listening and, and hearing about how do we fight hate? Uh, how do we understand the history of Palestine? And we will also be meeting and hearing from Holocaust survivors in person. Look forward to uh, seeing you there if you can make it, but it will also be videoed and broadcast at no expense to you. If you would like to become a partner and help support this ministry, that would be greatly appreciated. Head to churchandstate.com.au and click on the donate button or davepello.com and click on the support button on that website. Thank you very much to the senders who do donate every month. This work is possible because of you. Subscribe to my newsletter at davepello.com. And in the meantime, God save the King and God bless Australia. And again, Am Yisrael Chai. Shalom Jerusalem. And that means the people of Israel live. Peace for Jerusalem. Today, we need a special kind of courage. Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics, so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.